calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. <sighs> we did it! I still can't believe we got this project done so fast and so well. When I'm in New York. I'm in Chicago. And I'm in L.A. But we're making it happen in Miro. Together. Our best work just happens faster on Miro's collaborative online whiteboard. No more scheduling meeting after meeting for work that could happen from anywhere. Whether it's getting design feedback here. Mapping timelines here or brainstorming next steps here. It all just happens on the Miro board. Exactly. And it's nice not having to wait an entire day to get sign-off from this guy. Hey! Well, it is true. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com. The first three boards are free forever. That's M-I-R-O.com. Everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey! hey, we're back at it again, all three of us on the same coast uh, for the first time in a few weeks, and we are excited to jump into so many things going on in the world of entertainment. A lot of shocking stuff, certainly to talk about. Victoria Alonso's exit from Marvel, Damon Lindelof leaving a Star Wars movie right as we're about to go in. The Star Wars celebration in London a couple of weeks from now. We're also going to talk a little some trailers that dropped and also get into a bunch of other stuff that's happening in the world of entertainment that completely flew out of my mind. But we're going to talk about oh, the Shazam 2 nonsense that's going on as well. So we're going to jump into all of that stuff here on the Geek Buddies. But let's introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see some of our current work right now on Netflix and YouTube with Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, seasons one and two. That's right. And uh, That's right. if you haven't seen Shannon McClung on Party Down, uh, he was on Party Down, episode one. 
Uh, so there you go. Put that together. Michael, still re- recovering from coming back from New Zealand. How's the time with the daylight savings? Are you, are you back now? Is the internal clock back to normal? Or are you still struggling? It is. I, I made the mistake of pretending that I didn't have jet lag for several days. <laughs> and then it came uh, to bite me in the ass on Sunday. And I slept for like 30 hours in a 24-hour cycle. Wow. So I think I'm better now. Um, but yes, I... I I thought that uh, since New Zealand is basically like 21 hours ahead, it's basically like an entire day. It was like being on the East Coast. It's no big deal. Came back, thought I could just sort of like power through. And I managed to power through for a good three and a half days. And then I woke up Sunday morning and my body was like, what the fuck? (laughs) And then I died. And now I'm back. So it's been it's been a wild ride. But I think I feel like a normal human being now. Finally. Good, good, yeah. I can see Daniel walking in with like the mirror to make sure you're breathing. <laughs> um, yeah, let's get into things here. The way the show works, oh, for those of you who are new, welcome to Geek Buddies. For those of you who've been with us for a while, thank you very much for staying on the train. The way the show works is each of us brings up a geek news item, then we take a break and jump into our main topic. And today, our main topic is going to be breaking down the Victoria Alonso exit and what this means for Marvel and speculating why this might have happened and some of the conflicting stories around her exit, as well as this information is coming up piecemeal over the last few days but uh, michael vogel i think you're kicking things off for us first i am so star wars guys <laughs> what what are they doing we don't know uh it was just announced uh, as johnny said as we are getting ready to dive into star wars celebration uh that damon lindelhoff and justin Britt gibson who were writing the next big star wars movie uh that is being directed by charmaine obaid chinoy have left they turned in their script in february and apparently soon after they were gone uh that's all we really know right now um you know apparently people still feel like this is the star wars movie that is moving forward it is set to go don't know how that's gonna happen with the script not really worked out but hey movies have been there before it never (laughs) usually works but maybe this time it will maybe they know something we don't uh and if you you know if you follow damon lindelhoff he did kind of release a statement a few days before this was officially announced that more or less tells you where things were he said I will just say that for reasons that I can't get into on this Sunday morning, on this day, the degree of difficulty is extremely, extremely high. If the film can't be great, it shouldn't exist. That's all I'll say because I have the same association with Star Wars as you do, which is it's the first movie I saw sitting in my dad's lap, four years old, May of 77. I think it's possible that sometimes when you hold something in such high reverence and esteem, you start to get in the kitchen and you just go, maybe I shouldn't be cooking. Maybe I should just be eating. We'll just leave it at that point. Um, So that's that's what we know. I think when we come out of Star Wars Celebration, we're going to have hopefully at least a sense of what the direction post rise of Skywalker might be. Um, but it looks like Damon Lindelhoff took a swing and whether, uh, whether he felt it wasn't up to snuff or he was told it wasn't up to snuff. He certainly feels now that he is not the guy, uh, to guide us forward in a galaxy far, far away. So I I have a lot of thoughts on this. We've talked a lot about where star Wars is going to go post rise of Skywalker. So, uh, you know, a lot of people listening probably know a lot of my thoughts, but gentlemen, what are your thoughts on this? Go ahead, Shannon. Well, I mean, from Lindelof's point of view, um, you know, his whole thing about... From a certain point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) um, You know, his whole statement about if it can't be great, maybe it shouldn't exist. And, 
maybe, maybe I'm not the guy to tell this story. You know, he has, he he's had a storied history with fandom. Um, you know, you look at his experience with lost and, the plan that he and Carlton Cuse wanted to do versus what ABC wanted. And there was a degree of compromise that happened. And ultimately for them, it didn't turn out, didn't turn out well. I mean, I don't think anybody goes back and is like raring for a rewatch of loss because of, because of those last couple seasons, the season, you know, seasons that tied the show up. So from his point of view, it's actually, I think it's kind of smart. It's just like, look, if, where, where my head is, is not where it needs to be to 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 get this project going forward. I mean, even like with his Watchmen, you know, um, the show was incredibly successful. HBO, you know, wanted another season, and he was just like, no. He's like, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a story here. Um, you know, if you all want to take the ball and run, like obviously Watchmen, Watchmen wasn't his. He's like, if you want to take the ball and run, go for it. And and HBO, to their credit, was like, yeah, maybe maybe we're not gonna, maybe we're not gonna do anything. We're just gonna let this, you know, this extended uh, sequel live on its own. As for Star Wars, I mean, it, it's interesting that the movie is still gonna happen because I, I'd heard varying reports that whatever the idea was, that it was his idea. Yeah. Um. So it whether or not that is actually true, I don't think we have definitive confirmation on that. But if it's his idea and they want to take the ball and run, it's like, okay, great. He'll probably end up still having some sort of, you know, producer credit on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it wasn't his idea and Star Wars s- still sees this story that they want to tell, like, this is the one, um, even though like we, we didn't get exactly the, the, the result that we wanted from this writer, we still feel like this is the story. So I, I think, you know, I think they're aware <laughs> of, you know, the, uh, the, the announced uh, Kevin Feige's doing a Star Wars movie. Ah, just kidding. Batty Jenkins doing a Star Wars. Movie. Ah, just kidding. <laughs> I think they're they've probably learned a lesson in terms of maybe let's not announce something until it's until we're sure it's going. Um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens coming out of Star Wars Celebration, which Johnny will be able to give us a firsthand report. Well, we'll see. Let's just say that's all in flux right now. But uh, certainly, oh. I'll be I'll be watching the panels. I don't know if I'll actually breaking be. news for me and Shannon. <laughs> yeah, I might not be in London anymore. Um, it, it, it was we were doing the numbers the other day. It is uh, quite a, a pretty ticket. And at this point, to be honest with you, with everything in flux, this is what has kind of made me think twice about going because um, I don't know what they're going to announce that's going to be a big deal. We clearly know that uh, Charmin Obachinoy is going to be directing this film. This film, it hasn't officially been announced by Star Wars. It's been, uh, you know, there, there have been sources that have spoken about this thing. So maybe they'll do it. But what, they, what hasn't been announced is what the film is all about. So that'll be the big announcement. And I can find out that announcement from sitting at my house, you know, thousands of miles away. So it's just a question about whether it's worth it to go. So that's my consideration right now. But that being said, the Lindelof thing is very interesting. I kind of respect the fact that he's like, look, they say it at the level where I need it to be. We're not getting there. I'm going to step away from this. And I think this also connects to how we've seen the Star Wars fandom react to these kinds of things. When you don't bring it, they come after you with knives and pitchforks and um, lightsabers. Lightsabers. Yeah, exactly. They cut you down or, or force powers, whatever. They come to destroy you. And I think a lot of creators now are starting to have big, not starting, but are, are, have been having these hesitations to take on these kinds of things. It sounds fun. 
And certainly when Lindelof said, you know, sitting on my dad's lap, watching the first film in 77, this, this is how much I love it. And then once you start it and the machine gets a hold of you and there's this pressure that you're the first movie out the gate. And as we saw with the opening of Phase 5 with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, although we generally liked it, overall it was pretty much destroyed and didn't make a lot of, it hasn't made a lot of money. And so there's this frustration around it. So do you want to be the person that comes back and just once again, the film doesn't kind of come up to snuff. And then you're looked at as another person who was involved with Star Wars who didn't get the job done on the film side. So it's a lot of pressure. The Patty Jenkins thing, certainly, I think there's a lot of reasons for why that went down. The Feige thing is because phase four and and already phase five have not started out well or not gone well. So there's going to be more focus uh, and we'll get to that later on with the Victoria Alonso story. So to me, this feels like Damon Lindelof took this whole thing, figured out that it wasn't really going the way he wanted it to go. Maybe he didn't have enough autonomy. Maybe it's that he's having to answer to the people in charge and they're making changes to the script because they wanted to do this or that. And he's like, fuck this. I can't, I'm not, I can't work like this. I had this before with JJ and I'm not doing this again in this situation. So I'm going to let this go. And they've already got another writer. That's a, this is because we got this, story above the line uh, my co-host on the hot mic jeff snyder he broke the story the other night uh late at night and and when he got the news and he already sl- stated in his story that they've got another writer they haven't announced who that writer is yet but they've got another writer on board here so um w- so yeah so those are my thoughts on this uh overall mikey what are your thoughts well, I mean, we don't know for sure that Damon Lindelhoff walked away or was asked to walk away. So mm-hmm. there's there like first of Careful. all, there's like Careful. like his statement could have been exactly what you guys said, which is I got a bunch of notes on this script and I realized it's I this is not what they want me to do is not what I want to do. And I walked right. away. Right. He also could have been like, I turned in my script and they were like, thank you so much. I don't think this is it. And he's like, God, I really feel like I'm not the guy to write a Star Wars. Like, we don't really know what happened behind the scenes, but aside from the fact that they are not writing this movie. Yeah. What I'm more curious about, and this is where Star Wars Celebration is going to be really interesting, is... I, I like Damon Lindelhoff. I think yeah. he's good. I think I think him writing a Star Wars movie made sense to me, but if he's not the guy, he's not the guy. Um, he and uh, Britt Pearson. Um, but I... But what I'm more curious about is do do Lucasfilm and Disney have a direction? Yeah. And I think that's what, what it, now what it sounds like, whether it was Lindelhoff's idea and they're running with it, or it was not his idea and he was writing it or whatever. It sounds like this is the movie. It sounds mm-hmm. like they're like, this oh, yeah. is the next chapter that yeah. we're telling. And so I'm going to be really curious to see, because I think that no, number one is, they need to move on from this idea that each movie is its own thing and needs to have its own auteur and whatever. Like they need someone, whether that be Filoni or Filoni and Favreau and Kennedy or Chow and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and Filoni and Favreau, whoever the team is, they need a brain trust that's like, this is where the universe is going and then bring in the people to execute it because we need a direction for Star Wars. The other thing I'll say, and I'll just pull it right from Star Wars, like, I think Star Wars has a fear problem. Mm. Um, and and as Yoda says, like fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering, that leads to the dark side. Mm. And it's everything that you said, Johnny, is right, but it's also the the death of creativity. Mm. People Star Wars is so big, and we all have such a love of Star Wars that the fear of failing mm. outweighs the risk needed to take this franchise in a new direction. 
Yeah. Like this franchise needs something major to shake it up. We've said this a thousand times, like no stormtroopers, no skywalkers, no empire, no rebellion, no resistance, no first order. And on TV right now, we're making a pretty strong case that the new Republic wasn't working anyway. Yeah. So with no empire and no new Republic and no Jedi order, and only a handful of Jedis that might be running around. Like, what is the universe? Like, it is it is wide open in a way that Star Wars has never quite been wide open before. And I think that wide open space is terrifying to Disney, to Lucasfilm, to Kathleen Kennedy. The only person, the uh, Favreau and Filoni might not be terrified. I think they've got <laughs> yeah, some ideas. Yeah. Um, so if they have a direction, I think that's part of the battle. And then I think people, and this is just a lesson for all creatives, like, you gotta you gotta deal with that fear mm -hmm. you have to be like look it's star wars and you're right the fans are going to be crazy you know what the fans were crazy when ahsoka tano came out yeah the, yeah. the fans us included were crazy when the prequels came out Oof. oh you ruined star wars they clearly didn't the new trilogy i hate rise of skywalker it didn't ruin star wars star wars is still going strong so you need to put the fear aside and take the big swings and if you don't take the big swings you're going to end up with something that doesn't please anybody yeah. So that's the that's the lesson that I'm like wanting everyone to take out of this. But it does sound like, you know, based on Lindelhoff's uh, statement, it uh, he got the what do you call it? What do you call it in sports? He got the yips. He got the yips. Yeah. He got the yips. Look at him make it a sports term. <laughs> I mean, really, it's just because I've seen 10 cups so many times. But yeah, it's the yips. <laughs> that's a good move. Well, yeah. And it's it's a shame, you know, with the uh, real quick with A.O. Scott, I was I did a uh, thing on it last night it just went live last night to talk about it on the nation and a.o scott uh retired from movie criticism because of the uh, a large part because of the fandoms and the uh, tax he was getting for not liking certain films and i wonder at some point is there a breaking point for these fandoms to realize the reason you're not getting better stuff is because you all are absolutely destroying people who come up to try to do different things with things you hold so precious like Gollum in your fucking caves and eventually that's got to break because you know, like you said, Mike, a lot of creatives are going to be like, fuck that. Why would I want, I'm not going to create something different over here where I'm not going to have to deal with this nonsense. So hopefully, you know, this, this does get resolved at some point and people, people move past it uh, and more people need to speak out about it for God's sakes. You know? um, all right, well, let's take a break. We're going to jump into some more madness. Um, uh, Marvel on the DC side of things right after this. Do, 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 do. It's very well done. It's very well done. Uh, all right, well, let's jump into my turn. Let's jump into some Shazam, Fury of the Gods uh, stuff. Well, clearly, uh, the news reports over the last this, couple of days. This <laughs> is wild. <laughs> I'm just going to say right now, this is all weird, wild. Weird, wild stuff. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> over the last few days, we have seen Shazam Fury of the Gods underperform at the box office. And the narrative now has become, it is Dwayne Johnson's fault. It is The Rock's <laughs> fault because he did not approve a post credit scene. Where, and by the way, we're going to spoil a little bit of the movie for those of you who care or don't care. But a post credit scene was supposed to happen with members of the JSA coming up to recruit Shazam. Uh, uh, into uh, the JSA, which is so weird, especially on the heels of Black Adam not doing well at the box office. But anyway, they come out, and Zachary Levi reposted this story on his Instagram, eventually, essentially confirming it and saying, the truth shall set you free. 
Uh, yeah, Zachary, the truth shall set you free as well. And went after The Rock for this. Now, it's so fascinating. For me, I tweeted out this because to me, the optics of having a bunch of white creators blame a black man for a film he wasn't even in for underperforming drives me a little insane. Sandberg, David F. Sandberg, to his credit, um, and I'm going to say it's racist. I'm just saying the optics of it all. But David Sandberg, to his credit, has not come out and been like, yeah, The Rock did this, The Rock did that. He confirmed that there was they had to maneuver some things around with the post credit scene, but in the end, it is what it is, and the film should be should be judged on its own for what it is. And he afterwards launched a, like a five tweet thread where he essentially said, "I'm done with superheroes for now. I'm going off to go make my horror movies. I'm going to work with James Wan, Walter Hamada, who have also left DC. So certainly moving past it, uh, and it's been fascinating to see that." Everybody's blaming The Rock and people and Zachary Levi is somehow escaping unscathed. The Sandberg is escaping unscathed, and it's a bit unfair. So, this is all kinds of not- madness that's happening here behind the scenes. But because this idea that it's The Rock's ego, let me. Everybody in Hollywood has a fucking ego, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody. So to to go after The Rock, I think, is a bit disingenuous. Uh, but gentlemen, what do you think about this news and and what's going down here? <laughs> Mikey, please. well i I mean i agree in part like i don't think that shazam 2 failing at the box office is the rock's fault i think shazam 2 failing at the box office is shazam 2's fault and i don't think zach i don't think shazam being recruited by the jsa in the post-credit sequence when the jsa barely makes a damn lick of sense in the dc universe anyway was going to save this movie i think the entire concept that we've learned with black adam and with shazam is a post-credit sequence is a post-credit sequence. It does not save your movie. Right. If your movie is great and it has a great post-credit sequence, awesome. If your movie is great and it has a shitty post-credit sequence, okay, cool. I'm, I'm sad that I stayed an extra seven minutes. If your movie is shitty and it has a good post-credit sequence, it doesn't change the fact that your movie's still shitty. Um, now, that being said, I do think that when it comes to the Shazam portion of the DC universe, Dwayne Johnson stepped in there and fucked some shit up. I think (laughs) that when you have like black Adam is Shazam's big villain. Yeah. They get their powers in the same way. They both say Shazam and they get powers. So when black Adam comes out and says Shazam and Jaiman Hansu's chilling out there and everyone's like, nobody can beat him. And nobody mentions that there's somebody in the universe with the same powers. And from what everyone is saying, the reason that was is because Dwayne Johnson was like, I want to do Batman versus Superman wasn't great, but black Adam versus Superman is what everyone wants to see. (laughs) Dwayne Johnson clearly from every post he made, he was on this black Adam versus Superman train. And he wanted that to happen. And Zach Levi, even though he is the hero that should be going up against Black Adam, clearly was not big big enough for The Rock. The Rock could not smell what Zach Levi was cooking. Like, that was not in the cards. (laughs) Or he did, and he didn't want a piece of it. Or he He did, and he didn't want a piece of it. And so then, once you have this Black Adam movie that comes out with no mention of Shazam, and then you make a Shazam 2 where it is natural that Black Adam should be the villain in it, and instead you get Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu and everybody else. Like, I I think that in the bigger picture of DC, Dwayne Johnson coming in and trying to stir up what he was trying to stir up did kind of torpedo a bunch of what 
should have happened creatively. Now, I don't think that he's at fault for Shazam 2 not doing well at the box office. Like, even if Shazam 2 doesn't get to have Black Adam, they could have come up with a movie that is maybe better than the movie that is currently out in theaters right now. So I don't think he the all of the blame should go at his feet. But I do think that him coming in and thinking that Black Adam was going to be the central figure of the DC universe because he was Black Adam ended up being not a gamble that uh, worked out for anybody, DC, Zachary Levi, or Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, fair. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts? I mean, pretty pretty much what, what Vogel said. Like, I think a lot, a, a lot can be pointed at The Rock, um, but ultimately... It is the leadership of DC. Yeah. It is the leadership of Warner Brothers. Because if you have a star come in who's just like, this is what the people want, this is what the people want, ultimately, The Rock cannot unilaterally make that decision. Um, if right. you are trusting, if you are trusting an actor who has has an incredible career, who has done all, you know, has spun off this, in, this incredible empire. But if you actually look at his movies where he is the guy if it's not creatively blowing blowing you over then maybe that's not the guy you should be taking your story cues from hmm. and the whole idea that yes i mean had there are so many things that that could have gone because Shazam 1 that's a that's a cute that's a cute movie that's a cute family movie did i think Zachary Levi was the right guy not really but you know it was it was it was good it was good enough like had they saved the rock for the sequel had the rock been like yep i'm i'm his main bad guy like like a like a Shazam 2 where he confronts black adam that sounds like an interesting movie uh, an origin story for for an anti-hero that isn't by and large known by the public that could still work black adam it didn't though it just mm -hmm. didn't it you know it just didn't quite work out there is a universe where this all works out it's just not the one we're living in um then you get to shazam 2 is a is a post-credit sequence with aldous hodge really gonna save that movie <laughs> yeah, exactly. no of course but, not i love aldous hodge and you know what that's not gonna make shazam fury of the gods a better movie i mean create like across the board fury of the, like i went and saw it the other day and there was a moment that i'm like about halfway in i'm like I could leave. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't care right now. I mean, judging it on, on its own merits, the lack of imagination that went into that movie, it was like somebody shot a first draft and, and, mm -hmm. and a first draft where they weren't sure the characters that they were going to be able to put in. So it's like, you know what, let's make up, let's make up the daughters of Atlas. Let's have this random bridge sequence to start off with. It's like, you literally set up, this is your family franchise. You literally set up a, 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 a worm yeah. <laughs> as your bad guy do that at least have mr mind pop up yeah. like lean into the silliness of this and and that's not what happened and also a lot of shazam fury of the gods zach levi's performance i mean you look at asher angel as an actor who has as a child has has grown has matured and zach levi's still kind of doing the same shtick yeah and it's was, like it's yeah. the, the disconnect between those two performances um, it was noticeable in the first movie, and it's only gotten worse. Um, there was a moment in Fury of the Gods. It, it, it's the scene in the trailer where where Shazam is talking to Helen Mirren. And I remember before Zach Levi was cast, like John Cena was one of the names that they had thrown out there. And 
at the time, I didn't think much of it because Peacemaker hadn't come out. And I knew John Cena as a wrestler and a few of the movies that he did that I didn't think he was particularly good. Um, but watching that scene, I'm like, wow, now knowing what he was able to do with the, the place he was able to get to in Peacemaker, I'm like, yeah. I would have been curious to see John Cena do this. Because oh, yeah. um, I'm like, maybe that would have been maybe that would have been a little bit better. I mean, again, a lot of blame can be pointed at The Rock, but not the underperformance. Of yeah. this movie. But I mean, this movie just wasn't good. Yeah. It also, and this speaks to the Marvel effect of everything, and it speaks to what Star Wars is dealing with, whatever, is like, I do think as bad as Black Adam was as a movie and as, bla as bad as Shazam 2 is as a movie, if you just even think about the idea that you did the Black Adam movie, but if the JSA, as they were in the movie, had had to go to Shazam and be like, you're the only guy that can help us, and had brought him into Black Adam, yeah. and he had gotten his ass kicked a little bit and black Adam got to stay exactly ending it the way it was. And then you pick up in Shazam too. And he's like really questioning his role because he got his ass kicked by black yeah. Adam. Yeah. And then black Adam is like, I'm going to leave Kondok and I'm going to go make my move. And he has to step up like in that Marvel way, that interconnectedness, even in two mediocre movies yeah. would have made both of those movies feel bigger than they feel individually. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, I, I look at it as what you uh, brought up, what you both brought up, this idea that there was so much turmoil at DC. Right. I mean, I, I, I am a rock defender. I love the rock, but I also call out the rock as we as I did in one of the previous episodes when we talked about all that stuff, blowing him trying to defend Black Adam with this sleight of hand shell game that he was doing about the box office. And so he rightfully got called out for that. People went after his ego and I get it. He took a shot. He saw an opportunity, took a shot. The Rock is built to be the top dog on the pile. He's not built to be someone else's villain. That's not his thing, right? And so I think DC knew that, and the way The Rock pitched it is people pitched it. And look, he's way more successful in multiple areas than Zachary Levi is in one. And so to him, he saw Zachary Levi as way lesser on the power spectrum than him. So why would I be this dude's villain? And I, so I get the mentality. I'm not saying it's right, right? I'm saying I understand why he went the route he went. And look, we took Iron Man and made him a co-leader of the Avengers. He is not that a lot in the comics. So they, yes, they no. you can make the change. You can make the change. He's not as dynamic as Captain America in the comics. And we know that you can make the change in the transition. It can happen. What happened was they fumbled the ball on both sides, both Black Adam and Shazam too. No one would be talking about this not working if both of those films were good. No one would right. be saying shit about it if both of these films were good. And they'd be like, oh, wow, they did find a way to reintroduce him and not have him be a part of the Shazam universe just yet. I mean, we're dealing with, a with two Venom films where we haven't seen Spider-Man yet. And the both of those films have made a lot of money for some unknown reason. So these are the so changes to adapting a, a combo character to live action format and completely changing a lot of their foundational stuff can work uh, financially, at least. It's just that it didn't work in this case. And The Rock took a shot. He saw a power vacuum. He went for it. He got smacked back. And in the end, he's got to take the L and move on. But all these people were trying to distract from their failure to by blaming The Rock, I think, is a bit of self-serving nonsense. Especially from WB executives who are pumping this shout and shit out and using Umberto and Scott Mendelson over at the rap to essentially carry their water to push this stupid narrative out there. It really frustrates the shit out of me. All right, Michael, go ahead. A couple things really quickly. First, 
Iron Man and Cap, that is who they are in the comics. Like they didn't all of a sudden say, let's elevate Iron Man and do this thing with him. Like Iron Man and Cap in the comics for the Avengers were like the Batman Superman. Like that's where we got Civil War. That's where we got all those things. Like yeah. Iron, like like those two, like when, when Iron Man went to the big screen, they didn't all of a sudden say, let's drastically change Iron Man's character and elevate him. Like the reason that it worked is that Robert Downey Jr., literally was Tony Stark come to life. Uh, so I don't know that that's exactly the right example. And then with the whole Dwayne Johnson thing, look, I think Shannon's right. I don't think that Zach Levi is necessarily the perfect Billy Batson, no, but, he is. but he, but he was Billy Batson. And like once, and this is where Marvel does it really well. Like Dwayne Johnson coming in and saying, I want to be black Adam, but Zach Levi is not on my level. So I need to have a bigger, I need to have a bigger hero. Mm -hmm. The answer is no, or don't be right, black Adam. 100%. Hundred like, percent. Like the answer once is you go forward. It's this not is, the rock's fault. Yeah, this is this is what is canon. Right. This is who Black Adam is. Right. This is who Billy Batson is. This is what this relationship is. If you don't want to play in our sandbox with the people that we have playing these roles, that's super cool. We would love to have you. We think yeah. it would be great for us. But you're Black Adam. You got to deal with Billy Batson. Yeah. And so I think that's, and I think that what you're hearing, like, again, I don't think that The Rock is to blame for the failure of these movies. Well, he's the, maybe for his own movie, but not for Shazam. His own movie, yeah, sure. But I think what you're hearing right now is, I think that he came in and made a lot of demands. And because he was The Rock and because DC was so, uh, in flux. In flux. <laughs> they were like, I guess let's just do it. He's The Rock. He's going to yeah. save DC. And I think, he thought he was going to save DC. I think DC thought, he, I think everybody was like, he's going to save DC. And then you now have these two giant kind of turd burgers. And the, the, the truth of it is coming out and everyone's like, hey, Luke, he demanded a lot of stuff that we didn't want to do. And like, look, it's their own fault for not yes. putting their foot down too. So there's not, it's not that the rock came in and beat everybody up in the room. Like they made the decisions, but, uh, but I do think what you're seeing now is that there was a lot of demands on Dwayne Johnson's side that any of us sitting in our, uh, in our, in our living rooms, geeking out about things could have been like, well, this is probably going to be a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Right. Fair point. Fair point. But once you allow him to do it, it's no longer his fault. In my opinion, once you open the door and let him do the things it's no longer his fault. And I think it's unfair the way they're trying to be like, don't look here at this mess up. Look at this guy. Blame this guy. Look over there. Look over there. Well, and this, exactly. is, this is the situation that they won't get in when they have Saffron and Gunn in right. charge. Like this is the, the whole Black Adam movie was a result of them not having yes. their Feige, uh, of them not having someone, as Vogel said, like that's not how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 100%. Good points, guys. Definitely. Um, I still stand by my Iron Man thing, but I, re I respect your point. All right, let's take a break. <laughs> we'll jump into some trailers right after this. Wait, can we pause really quick? I didn't watch the Jedi Survivor trailer yet. Oh, my God. Well, I'm not I editing waited. this out. So I waited know. for the break. It's it's a minute 50. It'll be quick. Yeah, just go for uh, it. put it on with the subtitles as we talk about it. All right. Anyway, here, here we go. Um, Shannon McClung, uh, take it away. Yeah, we've got some trailers, trailers, trailers. Uh, one that came out just today as we were recording, Wednesday morning. We got the second trailer for Renfield. This is coming from Chris McKay of Lego Batman. Yeah, 
ah, and the Tomorrow War. Ah. Um, but we get a lot more of Nicolas Cage's Dracula in this. We get a little bit more of the setup with Nicholas Holt and Aquafina. Um, I'll throw it over to you gentlemen first. Um, but, you know, this, I, I cannot wait for this movie to come out, but we'll get more to that in a second. Johnny, what'd you think of that second look at Renfield? Uh, well, it's our, fi- it's our final look uh, because it's coming out real soon. So I would say this, I enjoyed that we got a little more in the, um, in the actual trailer about the story and about him. He's somewhat of a hero here, as opposed to being the slave to Dracula or the manservant to Dracula. He's actually a little bit more of a hero. And we saw him eat those things and become the things we got in the previous trailer, but like seeing him actually doing heroic things and having more of interactions with Aquafina, I thought was great um, and very funny. I'm not hearing the film is good from a couple of people. So that makes me very, very nervous. And of course, this is one of those tight ropes. You've got to walk. The more I get of Nicolas Cage, the less I'm like, okay, I want to see this because he is basically doing what any of us would do. Blee, blee. He's doing a Count Dracula, uh, or I can't, what do you got? The Count uh, from uh, Sesame Street imitation. <laughs> so for me, I'm like, ah, less is more. Ah, you know, so hopefully there's not as much, but certainly there's a lot of blood and gore in this trailer. So it's not going to pull punches in that direction. So uh, this is going to be fascinating that if, to see if they can walk the line between the comedy and the horror aspects of it all, because that's kind of where I think Shazam 2 fell apart, is you've got the David F. Sandberg horror stuff trying to slam into the Norman Rockwell family approach that really didn't work. It was two shifting, two completely different tones slamming into themselves rather than working together. So from the trailer, I like it, but I'm also concerned because I don't think it 100% worked in the trailer. Uh, Mikey, what'd you think? I don't think this movie's going to be good. (laughs) I like I I I I it's with even with like the first trailer like I really like the idea of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And something about the way it's shot, something about just like looking at it, it just has this quality to it that I'm like this just doesn't feel like a big studio release. Like I don't like it's like it's got big names in it. Yeah, like yeah. I like I like all the actors in this movie. Like I I'm a I love like the whole monster genre. I think this is an interesting take on the monster genre. Like everything about it, I'm like this should work. And I just watch the trailer and I'm like, this does not feel <laughs> like it got there. But I could be wrong. Like something is wrong here. I, I will I I want to see this movie sitting next to. <laughs> Shannon, I am so excited for this movie, McClung, because I, I'm, I'm really curious, and I think it'll either be one of those things where I will just give Shannon this look for the entire movie, like, <laughs> or Shannon will be like, and one of us will be right. <laughs> and I will say, in between those looks, there will be a lot of. <sighs> <laughs> and a lot of shifting in his seat back and forth. Look, I think there is a high likelihood that it's probably not great. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a comedy. And th- like you don't yep. you don't put that Catholic Church bit in. You oh don't put God. Ben Schwartz in unless you are going this is a comedy and and, yeah. and it, it will hinge on whether or not it is funny. Um in terms of the uh the the aesthetic of the movie, I don't disagree with you all. I'm like there is sort of a kind of lower budget feel to this but i don't think this is something that you need that you don't need that slick polished look i think maybe that's going to play into its favor but i do agree there is comp 
comedy is hard. <laughs> and uh, I think Nick Cage doing doing anything other than the count from Sesame Street for a comedy probably doesn't work. But again, <laughs> this seems like it's going to be a this is a great looks like a great afternoon movie mm. where you can have, you know, see it on a Sunday, ha- have have an early cocktail beforehand, maybe take one into the theater with you cuz it, it it seems like it'll maybe, be better with maybe, uh, with alcohol. Maybe take two. Maybe take two. <laughs> <laughs> maybe take two. Maybe take two. You know, you don't want to leave the movie because I'm I'm betting it's going to be about 95 minutes. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but we will get to find out very, very soon whether uh, Vogel does this or I do this because it's coming out April 14th. Our next trailer, this com- this falls into the realm for me of who asked for this, yeah. um, but, but, but it's <laughs> Mighty Morphin Power Rangers once and always. This is coming to Netflix. This is basically a big Power Rangers reunion. Now, if you grew up in the 90s, there was a there was a window where Power Rangers was the biggest thing out oh, there. Yeah. Like there were there were there's there's a generation of kids that the Power Rangers it is it's it's what Star Wars was to us. Um, having not been in that generation, I watched this trailer and go, eh, all right. Um, but it seems like the audience for this, I'm really curious. It seems like the audience for this is pretty narrow because I don't, I, I think kids now, I think, you know, their tastes have evolved a little bit. And I don't, I don't see this finding a new audience. I could be 100% wrong. Um, but I imagine for the folks that this is made for, and it's, you know, those kids who grew up in the, you know, early to mid nineties, um, this probably is checking off every box for you, but gentlemen, I'll throw it over to you as two other guys who did not grow up in the (laughs) early to mid nineties. What did you think of our look at mighty Morphin power Rangers once and always Johnny? Hey, hey. (laughs) here's what I tell you. I'm not a, a power Rangers person, so I shouldn't speak on this too much. All I'll say is this. Sometimes people try to reboot your stuff that you started out and and laid the foundation for, and they don't get the job done multiple times so much so that it creates a desire in the fandom to go back to the beginning. And this is what I think they're taking advantage of because there have been multiple attempts to reboot Mighty Morphin Power Rangers in different formats. Certainly the most recent one with the terrible Elizabeth Elizabeth Banks in that movie. Uh, I think they realized you know, I think they realize, okay, let's do something where we bring the cast back and they're all older. Certainly Mike and I are enjoying Picard as they brought the next, also a 90s show. They brought back the old cast to be a part of this and it's been great. This looks like we're just going to keep this squarely and firmly in the 90s with a 90s sensibility, with the 90s moments of ending scenes. You know, you came to the wrong place. We're going to have all of that so that people can feel the nostalgia of this all over again. So, if I look at this, they clearly didn't spend a lot of money on this. So as I look at this, I'm like, you know what? If I was a fan of them and a fan of these actors who did the original stuff, I would be going like, this is going to be a lot of fun. And it'll be nice to smile, to have a smile on my face for 90 minutes or whatever. So at the end, I think it gets the job done as a trailer to get people excited for it who are original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers fans. Mikey? Yeah, I mean, it's to use scream terminology, it's not a reboot, it's a requel. And so, I mean, they are just doing the same thing that every other franchise yeah. has done. Like, we don't, we're not living in an era where we want reboots. 
I don't want to see a new version of Star Wars. I don't want a new version of Scream. I don't want a new version. Like, we're getting the requels. We're getting the the handoff. We're getting the, here's the new cast. Here's the old. I get the nostalgia of these people I grew up with showing up as adults. They get to hand off to a new cast. The new cast gets to run with the ball. And that's clearly what they're going for. I think one of the differences, and Netflix has done this a few times. It's really interesting. Mm. So where scream or star wars because we talk so much about it uh does it like they take the old characters but they put them in this brand new shiny universe like here's the new version here's the new version here's force awakens here's scream five and scream six um but they've updated everything so it's modern so that they're trying to get that new audience as well netflix you know they did a similar thing with the um kevin smith masters of the universe where they really went and they said, look, we are going to do an animation style. We are aiming to hit that 80s, but you know, a better animation than the 80s, but we're we're aiming for that 80s vibe. And that is really squarely kind of only for the old fans. And that's great, like if that's what they're doing and that's what this feels like. Like I don't, if you grew up as a Power Rangers person, which as Shannon said, uh, we we just missed that window, maybe more than just, but we missed the window. Um, (laughs) But, if I was if I was someone who grew up if I was someone who grew up with the Power Rangers like some of my younger friends have like I think I'd be super excited for this I think I'd be like fuck I'm in and and they are very clearly making it look like the old school Power Rangers I think had they taken the original cast brought them in and maybe spent a bit more money or like worked to make it feel a bit more updated and really tried to make it feel like more of a handoff maybe this would be something that would be spinning into and now we have a new generation of power rangers fans but that doesn't really seem like what they're going for that's yeah. like that it seems like they're like look i don't know that we're going to get a whole new generation of power rangers fans so let's just do this for the hardcore fans and if that's what they're doing and a bunch of people are going to be super thrilled to go like relive their youth watching this thing like i am all on board for it yeah. read a repulsa your little heart out <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, well I, it, it may be that netflix is because netflix is coming out right with this one shannon so it's, mm-hmm. it seems like netflix is getting in the business of doing movies from these like tv series because i just watched the luther movie luther the fallen son and i thought it was a good in entry into the luther series a luther franchise without it being a series so if this this may be a pattern that netflix is developing where they kind of bring uh, and do these movies from these TV shows, but don't do full series as a way of keeping the cost down. So we'll see. Well, we'll all get to find out. Maybe all's a broad term. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers once and always will be available on Netflix starting April 19th. And that brings us to our last trailer, the our second look at Star Wars Jedi Survivor. And there it goes. That first, there it is. That first uh, trailer, that was kind of our announcement this one we get a, a little bit more of the story that we have cal kestis uh five years after well there well shall we just keep going what do you think mikey i say let's wait for johnny to read okay <laughs> oh goodness all right let's go let's go sorry about that there we okay go. <laughs> start star wars jet no star i got wars... you you're good you're good i'm not editing this go 
Go. Oh, we're not editing it. So shit. No, hell no. I don't like idiots. Man. This is gonna be eleven. Oh gigabytes. god, you guys, what a fucking day! What a fucking day! The three of us get back together, and it's the wild, wild west on the Geek Buddies. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Much it's like planning. the planet that Cal Kestis crash lands on in Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Um, we, you know, we get a look at some some characters from the the first game. We get a look at some new characters. One who's played by our good buddy Noshir Dalal, who is uh, you know, uh, Vice Admiral Rampart in the Bad Batch. Um, the game looks incredible. Incredible. I wish I, I wasn't getting older so I, I wouldn't get motion sick because the game looks like it's a blast. But gentlemen, <laughs> what did you think at our second look at Star Wars Jedi Survivor? I'm still trying to deal with the fact that you're getting too old for video games. <laughs> it's frustrating. The spirit is willing. The body is not. I mean, really? That yeah. bad? Yeah, I, 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 can, I can play for about 15 minutes and then I start to feel sick. That's it? You know, About you know, we have a hard minutes. out in 24 minutes, so just throw it in. We've got a big topic to discuss. So here's a, let's keep this to one, to 60 seconds. It, it looks great. I'm excited to see it, uh, to play it. It comes out real soon, uh, and uh, I can't wait to get my hands. I got to finish Fallen Order first, and then, uh, you know, so I can be ready for Jedi Survivor. But there's apparently some new characters in this, some returning characters uh, in this as well, and some new locations that we might be going to. One of them that stood out to me, uh, was uh, Moraband that uh, some of that desert planet or whatever that they shot that could be Moraband, which is an ancient Sith planet. So, will that be Moraband or is that going to be another thing? So, I'm going to be very curious to see that. So, and who is the big uh, villain? A lot of people are saying it's a former Jedi. So, which former Jedi is going to be the big villain in this? So, just a lot of curious. But the gameplay looks incredible. The graphics look fantastic. The design of it all looks stellar so i can't wait to get my hands on it and play it mikey your thoughts yeah i mean i loved uh, i loved the first game i it was one of the most fun games i played in recent memory um so i'm stoked i'm on board i was already on board before this trailer came out but yeah i agree the graphics look incredible it really looks amazing and look per our earlier conversation about the star wars movies and lindelhoff and everything i think that in the world of video games in publishing in the high republic you're seeing that where there's not that pressure to deliver something that's perfect. Um, you're seeing people take chances, create characters, have these big swings. And I think Fallen Order and uh, Survivor are doing that. Like they're, they're telling a great Star Wars story. And like, much like people who are fans of The Last of Us were so satisfied watching Last of Us on HBO, um, there are creators that are creating epic star wars tales in yeah. video games and publishing and everywhere else and so not only am i just excited because i think the gameplay is spectacular th there is very few things that are as cool as wielding a lightsaber and using the force in a video game like it once you get good at it you are like i'm a fucking jedi i'm a badass <laughs> so uh i can't wait but then i just can't wait to dig into the story i think it's going to be spectacular hell yeah well that i'll tell shannon out. all about it <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. I can't wait to hear about it over lunch. <laughs> Star Wars Jedi Survivor will be available on April twenty eighth. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll jump into our main topic here. As we have like twenty two minutes to talk about it right after this. That's good. That's good. All right, let's get into this thing here. A big news dropped a couple of days ago that Victoria Alonso, someone who has been with Marvel since the beginning, and by that I mean before they were even bought by, D by Disney, 
has left the company pretty much a shock to a lot of people. Uh, this was broken by the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, she joined, as I said, Marvel Studios in 2006. She was an executive VP of visual effects and post-production. She was a co-producer on Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, First Avenger, then became an executive producer on every film in Marvel since the Avengers. She was promoted to executive VP of production in 2015, and she was up to president of physical post-production, VFX, and animation at Marvel Studios in 2021. She oversaw all of Marvel's post-production, including its visual effects work, uh, and uh, the, most recently special effects work, for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which really got a lot of negative uh, comments in uh, reviews from a number of critics. Also, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. She got backlash for that. Uh, and uh, she is still going to be the producer on these upcoming films, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, The Marvels, Secret Invasion, Ironheart, Echo, and Agatha, those series there. Uh, she also recently produced Argentina 1985, which was nominated for a Best International Film Oscar, but won a Golden Globe for Best foreign language film and of course she is um a gay woman who is and, and she is of um south american origin just as uh, my parents were or are and so um she was pushed really hard for representation over phase four into phase five uh she was big in, in the don't say in pushing back on the don't say gay bill in florida she said as long as i'm at marvel studios i will fight for representation and according to uh, Jeff Snyder over at Above the Line, breaking this thing down, talking about the situation with her, she had come under fire for uh, Marvel's approach for visual effects that's been described as, quote, pixel fucking, a micromanaging process that saw um, uh, Victoria Alonso and Kevin Feige personally overseeing every shot. And uh, Chris Lee, who's a Vulture reporter uh, and did that fantastic article about Marvel and their FX situations, uh, his sources, according to him on Twitter, described Alonzo as, quote, as singularly responsible for Marvel's toxic work environment, a kingmaker who rewarded unquestioning fealty with an avalanche of work, but also maintained the blacklist that kept FX pros wild-eyed with fear. But Joanna Robinson, who's a writer for The Ringer and working on a Marvel book, countered him by saying this is just the absolutely opposite of what I've heard from every person who has ever worked with her. I'd call it a gross mischaracterization. So, this is such an interesting moment here in the history of Marvel right now with everything that's going on. Mike and Shannon, what do you think about this? Is this an Iger thing? Is he cutting costs? Is them is this saying they don't want to go woke anymore? Like, what do you think this means with her walking away in such a shocking uh, manner? I mean, well, it's one of those situations until she comes out and says, mm. um, we'll, we'll never know. I mean, was it sort of she's being made kind of the sacrificial lamb for right, the underperformance of Ant-Man um, with some of the uh, 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 critical woes they've had with phase four? Or is it she's been with them since Iron Man? She produced a uh, an award winning feature last year and maybe she wanted to move on. I mean, the timing, I don't think is is uh, a coincidence. Um, but, yeah, I imagine being named in an article whether or not that article holds merit or not, um, but being named in an article as being solely responsible for a problematic work environment, uh, that probably doesn't feel great. So, you know, the, the fact that, you know, she, her fingerprints are going to be on the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the foreseeable future, as you said, Johnny, like she's, yeah. she's listed as a, as a, an EP on their next several projects. Um, 
it, it'll be interesting to see if anyone else follows. If if uh, if she yeah. is kind of the one lone person, it's like you know what we we found the issue. It was Victoria. It was Victoria Alonso all along. <laughs> all along. Everything's <laughs> gonna be better from here on in. Um, I don't think it's a situation where you know uh, removing one person is going to suddenly solve all the issues that they have. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, we just we don't know what. Who, whose decision this was and why it was. Um, but, you know, you can't argue the success of those first three phases mm. where she was an integral part. So right. it'll be interesting to see what happens afterwards. Yeah. Mike, your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's weird because there's a lot of things that sort of coincide. Like, I would think that if she was being made the scapegoat, there would have been more of a PR announcement to go with it. Like, yeah. there, there was no statement from anybody. Like there was no prepared like, hey, we're going to get rid of Victoria Alonzo and then we're going to come out with this big thing that says we're shifting directions and we're looking towards mm. doing things differently and blah, 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 blah. And there's none of that. So that kind of strikes me and I could be completely off that like this was maybe more her decision, but maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it seems like it was just it's it's very it seems like it's taken everybody by surprise. And I think you can point to, well, quantum mania didn't work and, you know, phase five is in trouble and Marvel def definitely seems like they're not the powerhouse that they were and they're looking to make big changes. But you can also, as Shannon said, look at, hey. You've been doing Marvel movies for years. It sounds yeah. like that is a intense work environment. And then you went and made a documentary that got a Golden Globe Award and was nominated for an Oscar. And you were like, hey, fuck this shit. I'm going to go make what I want to make. I'm a big producer. Like, So it, there, it could really be anybody's game as far as what's going on. I think the fact that there's been, like I said, no um, context makes it seem like this isn't like a calculated let's address the pixel fucking and let's address yeah. this stuff because it hasn't been addressed. Um, but I do think it's a bigger sign. Look, we've been talking about this phase four. We were all like, yeah, there's okay. It's good. I like it. We'll see where it's going. There's some really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it also sounds like Marvel right now is, you know, they're trying to pull back and Iger has kind of come out and said, we need to be a little bit more choiceful. And Kevin Feige said, we're going to slow down. But between all the TV shows and all the movies, in addition to us feeling like maybe there's a little bit too much Marvel content going on, it seems like they can barely keep everything in order internally. And it probably is a fucking nightmare work environment for a lot of people. And yeah, I can imagine yeah. that, you know, aside from Kevin Feige, she was probably, I mean, I don't know what life she had. I don't know how she made this fucking documentary in the middle of doing everything else well, that she was doing. Just to clarify, it's not a documentary. It's a feature. That, oh, that, sorry. I thought yeah, it was no, a documentary. No, just to clarify, it, it's, a, it's a feature uh, about uh, the juntas and about these lawyers who prosecuted the last military dictatorship in Argentina that lasted from 76 to 83, and they start the prosecution in 1985. So it's it's a feature film. So just let it My know. bad. Well, then, uh, oh. thank you for correcting me. Yeah. And even more to the point, I don't know how she made a whole fucking feature when she's <laughs> literally over here being accused of approving every single shot yeah. of yeah. every single Marvel movie. So, you know, I, I imagine that for anybody after doing this for as long as some of them and, and she is she is one of the main people, um, whether Marvel was like, it's time for you to go or she was like, it's time for me to go. It definitely is a sign of things shifting internally at Marvel, yeah. which might be a sign that like, you know, we'll see where things go. But it, in addition to the box office performance, in addition to all of us being a little bit lukewarm on 
several of the past big Marvel releases in the past year, it's yeah. definitely um, a sign that, again, Marvel's going to have to take a hard look at themselves internally and go, okay, we know that we're going towards the Kang Dynasty. We know that we're moving towards Secret Wars, but are we moving it in the right way? And are we making the right decisions? And I think for, for everybody, for fans, for everyone internally at Marvel, for all the visual effects artists that are working on it, um, Marvel needs to like take a beat and be like, yeah. Let's let's rethink some things. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's interesting to me, and it, it it has shades a little bit of what we saw or what we mentioned earlier in the show with the Rock. It feels like let's find this person and blame. But I mean, she, she's a woman of color. She's a, a you know from Argentina. She is gay, and so to me, it's like if they moved her out for, and it's just a bad look. And now if she left on her own. I can understand that. And everyone's been, everyone was celebrating the return of Bob Iger, but Bob Iger has come back and said, clearly he is going to cut costs. And already they've pushed some of these Marvel shows and movies to later dates now. Um, and other things are in motion here. They want to take their time, re look at things. Kevin Feige has had his star Wars movie shelved because he's going to focus a little more on phase four and five. And now we have Victoria Alonso walking away. And this is a woman who was uh, named uh, to, uh, one of the most influential Hispanic women in 2019, 2020 in people in Espanol. She was listed in, in the top uh, women of power by variety and THR. So this is not just, you know, somebody who is in charge of the VFX. She certainly had a massive footprint in what we've seen from Marvel over the last 15, four, uh, 16 years since that company started making these Marvel movies. So it's a really big uh, uh, decision for her to make to leave or decision by Disney to remove her. And I wonder also, because this part of Jeff's article about it really caught my eye. It's worth noting that Alonzo was particularly outspoken during Disney's dispute with uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis over the state's Don't Say Gay Bill. As she pushed Chapek to make a public statement announcing the bill, as a result, Disney is losing its special tax status in Florida, which is likely costing it a lot of money. It's not saying that she's to blame for that, but if she was part of this, is this maybe Disney's way of going back to DeSantis, going back to Florida and saying, look, we got rid of the person who is the most vocal about this kind of stuff. Give us back our tax status because part of, a part of um, cutting costs is also finding ways to get more money back into your company. And I wonder if there's something of that involved in this. So it just it leaves a bad taste in my mouth because she is, she was, uh, you know, outspoken, but the other side of it could be true. This could also be an Ellen situation where it's a gay woman who is pushing diversity, pushing representation, but is a terror to work for behind the scenes. I don't know. And as Shannon said, until people start talking about her, it comes out more, we won't know, but there's a lot of speculation across the board as I just noted earlier, between you know Chris Lee and uh, the writer for The Ringer, both having two different interactions yeah. with VFX people about Victoria Alonso. So you know, so there's a lot of questions about all of this. And until and she's got a biography coming out, by the way, a memoir coming out very soon about succeeding in business. So that'll be really interesting uh, to see as well. How that, how much of maybe there's a little epilogue into that that uh, talks about. Yeah, this man. Experience. Look, yeah, we're also seeing. Um... Ben Affleck said this in The Hollywood Reporter. Mm. Uh, Sandberg said this after uh, Shazam. Yeah. Um, between, between like a very demanding fandom 
yeah. a relentless production schedule and just wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. Uh, even though superhero movies are the biggest money makers in the entertainment industry right now and marvel is the most successful franchise in movie history yeah doing superhero movies for 20 years you might get to you after a while like like you know the yeah. difference and and, and I, I know you're not saying this because you literally said it but like yeah. the difference between the rock situation and the alonzo situation is in the rock situation everybody is very publicly pointing fingers and saying hey this is the rock's fault right. we literally know nothing right now so yeah. no one is saying hey this queer woman we got rid of her. No one's saying this terror of a pixel fucker. We got rid of her. Like there's nothing. And the fact that she has this award-winning film and a memoir coming out, like, and I think she's probably doing okay financially. Like oh, yeah. it is just as likely that she was like, I am fucking done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know what? I don't need to deal with this. Marvel I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out yeah, before yeah. the X-Men show up because holy shit, y'all. I can't do it anymore. So it could be, you know, I mean, like we, you're right. Like yeah. none of us know. So I think speculating that Disney is trying to become less woke or that Marvel is blaming her for the pixel fucking, like any of those things could be true. Sure, sure. But until we know, like just as likely as she was like, peace out y'all. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. It's, a, it's weird, though, to leave the ship as it starts to sink. It's a little weird, but you get exactly... It, if, is it? it? Well, fair point. For Hollywood, is exactly it weird to leave when... Yeah. You know, it's weird to leave when the <laughs> ship is riding the wave. Yeah, You're like, true. hey, we're popping champagne and making money, and let's keep going. When the like, ship starts going, to sink... <laughs> <laughs> the reason the lifeboat is there is so that you get in it when the ship starts to sink. That's a good point. A good point. Yeah, for sure. You're right. There's a lot of speculation, but certainly this just adds to more of the turmoil. I mean, listen, 100%. 2019 is not that far away. Four years ago, Marvel was the fucking zenith uh, of uh, what everyone wanted to aspire to. And now it's just been a four-year just stumble and fall. and Yes, and they've made advances on the diversity side of things as well. And here's the thing. You can have diversity, but you've got to do it well. You've got to do it well. It isn't just about having it. And I think sometimes there's been stumbles in that approach or that desire to make that happen or half-ass approach. Like, we'll have a gay character, but they won't kiss anybody. And we won't deal with the relationship. We'll just, uh, you know, have them be really, really supportive. And then we'll move on, you know? And so it's just those things that you're just like, which way are we going on this? And I can't help but think that nothing is in a vacuum. And I can't help but think like, you know, they're starting to look at their bottom line and all of this. And they want to make it so that everybody can come see their stuff instead of trying to make statements about their stuff. But who knows? Uh, Shannon, any any words on any more words on this? Well, I mean, I don't think that. I mean, is is Marvel doing diversity poorly? Like that's not. I don't think that's the reason that maybe the movies aren't succeeding. I think it's just ultimately some of the movies just weren't that great. Well, and they 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 pushed away from the Valkyrie one. They don't really dive into that. Ao, they didn't dive. But would that have saved the movie? (laughs) Would that have saved Love and Thunder? If you're going to do it, at least do it. You know where you actually give it the proper attention and time and flesh it out. They did with Wakanda Forever, right? They just like, oh yeah, these two are together. Uh, Peace, see you later. You know, it's like, wait, what? So it's that kind of half-ass approach that doesn't ring true for the people who want to see that. So you're you're pissing one side off by having any gay representation. 
and you're pissing another side off by doing a half-ass gay representation. So you can't it can't affect, I think, your bottom line, possibly. So I don't know. I guess I I, I don't see it. Like I don't yeah. think that if Valkyrie had had a relationship in Love and Thunder, if they had explored that more, I don't think that saves that movie. I think that movie has bigger problems than the lack of a Valkyrie relationship. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's a whole other, it's an entire Geek Buddies topic on True. how to do it right and how to do it wrong. I think a lot of the issues with these things is these movies were so overstuffed with everything they had to do to address being a part of a phase four yeah. or a phase five that there wasn't any room. Wakanda Forever had so much shit cut out of it, um, content-wise, yeah. character-wise, that like taking the time to be like, let's really develop this relationship when we're not even really clear on some other stuff with bigger characters in the <laughs> movie. The like, yeah. You know, so I think that, you, I, I think it remains to be seen. I think Marvel's big, I mean, again, not, not on the Alonzo front, but Marvel's big uh, litmus test on queer representation is that they have clearly got Billy and Teddy coming. Like Young Avengers are coming. Yeah. And Billy and Teddy oh. are the royal gay couple of comicdom right now like they are the two queerest most front and center characters in comics <laughs> so when young avengers shows up if billy and teddy are like besties we're gonna have some trouble and until then we're gonna wait and see what happens but if they're just really really good friends uh then you're gonna have some then you're gonna have some queer comics fans uh, flipping some tables. Yeah. <laughs> 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 some furniture, as Bernie Mac said. Um, real quick, real quick, and this is perfect for us. Came out uh, last week, little rumor that Sasha Baron Cohen is possibly playing Mephisto in Agatha Coven of Chaos. Real quick thoughts. Finally, Mephisto. And do you like that Sasha Baron Cohen might be playing this character? Well, isn't he supposed to be Mephisto in Ironheart? Uh, that's the rumor. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. What, what do you guys think? I mean, <laughs> for me, a little too, little too late. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think Sasha Baron Cohen is a very gifted performer. I'll be very interested to see what he does playing the devil. <laughs> I, yeah, I think he's a great Mephisto. I like you fooled me once, shame on me. You fooled me thirty-five <laughs> times, shame on me. I don't believe any Mephisto news until I see someone's red ass on screen. But. Um, <laughs> I, you know, more so than anything, it's just like, I, as much as we all in our COVID haze were like, it's Mephisto, it's Mephisto. Yeah. Um, the mystical part of the Marvel universe, we're already dealing with the multiverse and some crazy shit and whatever. Like, mm -hmm. is, we're already in a little bit of turmoil. Is now the time to bring the devil into the Marvel <laughs> universe? Like, maybe let's just, let's just beep. Beep, beep, beep. Like, let's just take a beat. But we'll see. Fair enough. Uh, did you like that, Shannon, how Michael brought us into the Mephisto conversation? That was all you. And you know it was all you. We didn't all go and say Mephisto. Say it was Mephisto. Are you, I, Shannon I, McClung was looking at fucking wallpaper on posters being like, it's the devil. Don't come at me. That's a fair point. And and I, they knew what they were doing. They knew what they, <laughs> yeah, were, they, knew doing. they were fucking with you. Of course. Of course. Jack Schaefer being like, I've never even heard of this yet. Bullshit. You were doing <laughs> Liar! Liar! <laughs> um, all right, well, let's wrap up there because I know we got the heart out here. Uh, Shannon, please. Uh, oh, thanks to everybody who watched or listened to us. Remember, you can listen to us on the podcast feed as well. But uh, Shannon, what do we have to tell them? 
Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Volga and possibly get one of these, it's <laughs> at MK Tune. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca and possibly get one of these, it's at The Roca Says. <laughs> Mikey? If you like funny expressions in the wild west of this unedited Geek Buddies episode <laughs> and you want us to do more of it, here is what you can do. Uh, hit that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the content he's got there. Leave your comments below. There was a bunch of shit going on this week and we want to know what you thought about it. Star Wars, Marvel, uh, The Rock superman shazam like let us know your thoughts in the comments below if you are listening to us on a podcast as johnny said go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments it helps us go up in the rankings so more people can find us and as always the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video post it to your socials send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies the geek buddies there you go and it's always a big shout out to carbon health who continues to power and sponsor us on the geek buddies through the end of march carbonhealth.com that's where you want to go for all your health questions concerns or needs they've been focusing on mental health uh programs there for you all as well so if you've got something that's going on for you you want to talk to somebody reach out to carbonhealth.com and see what kind of facilities and programs they've got for you you can do it virtually or in person you can download the app to have a doc in your pocket all right y'all take care of yourselves be well look for our reviews of the mandalorian and picard coming out later on this week and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of the geek buddies Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.